Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. Very excited to be joined in person with our guest, Kyle Simani, managing partner at Multicoin Capital. He was on my panel this morning talking about the spring, the potential spring that we find ourselves in, in the crypto world. And George, from our research team, of course, Multicoin is, I mean, it's one of the largest... Hedge funds. Would you describe it as a hedge fund? Uh, Multicoin is an investment firm investment that focuses on crypto. We have a, a liquid product that sometimes people call a hedge fund. It can go long and short. And then we have a series of venture funds as well. And is that like a two and 20 type structure? Uh, we don't talk about our fee schedule, but we're in line with market norms. Got it. So it's interesting though, right? Because this is historically has been a hedge fund conference, right? And it almost feels like 50% of everyone attending at least is involved in crypto to some extent. A lot of the panels are focused on crypto. When I asked the audience, how many of you have a crypto wallet? More than 60%, I'd say, raised their hand. Yep. So I guess we can start with the question that was posed on the panel is, are we entering spring? I mean, there's a, there's a potential, right, that since we drew down so quickly, maybe there's like a, a you know, COVID-esque if you remember that bounce back yep. V-shaped recovery, that could happen. But at the same time, macro just looks not good. Yeah, no no real view on, on macro. Certainly we are more tied to macro now than we were, say, two or four years ago. It's hard to have an opinion there. I do think that we are seeing a lot of really cool people trying to do cool things with crypto, irrespective of the general market prices and general sentiment. Stuff like Hive Mapper is in beta now and launching very soon. 
there's a bunch of cool games. For example, there's like a Minecraft type of game with all with NFTs on Solana launching soon. Step N was very cool, launched a few months ago now. There's a whole bunch of MMORPG type games launching pretty soon. We did this thing called Delphia. It's a data DAO. Um, we've done a few more deals that I would say are like just net new things that are leveraging crypto in cool ways. So that wave of experimentation has not slowed. Um, and actually probably is, is picking up just because like the more examples that there are out there of things that work in right. Axie was play to earn. Helium was the first proof of physical work. Delphia, I think will be the first data DAO. Mm -hmm. As more of these things work, people in those industries or in other industries learn about them. And then they get that spark of, oh, I can take these ideas of how to design this, this kind of design pattern of how to use crypto and I can apply it to whatever my, my, my industry of knowledge is. Um, and, and the pace at which that is starting to to happen is, is really accelerating. When does that lead back to the price of BTC, ETH, or Sol moving? I, I, I don't know how to court, you know do any causation there, but the pace of of the core building happening is is picking up. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's this new wave of entrepreneurs that you're talking about entering the market, building on the fringes things that we never probably would have anticipated. Like I said, even during the panel, you know, up until maybe the last year, it's been so focused on, or it was so focused on everyone that is DeFi and those financial sort of use cases. And when I think about the mindshare and tell me if you disagree, I feel like that's declined to like 40% of mindshare or 30% of mindshare. And the other 70% is all this other stuff that you're talking about, gaming, DAO tooling, NFTs. Yeah, I mean, I think 30% is pretty generous. I, I feel like DeFi's mindshare is sub 10% at mm -hmm. this point. Zoom in a second. Um, like, what what is DeFi? Like, DeFi is like, in the ba most basic sense, a way to define financial relationships between two or, or multiple parties. That is not really a product. Like, obviously, if you're a finance trader type, like, it's cool to, to theorize about and stuff. But like normies don't think about financial contracts because like financial contracts are boring plumbing, right? So so the idea that DeFi would ever be like the heart and center of crypto in any mainstream sense is, was, was kind of ludicrous by definition. Today, I spend the substantial majority of my time and energy on consumer-centric things, mm -hmm. um, looking at opportunities to put crypto into consumer apps uh, in clever, compelling ways that can build real moats and, and get real some notion of compounding going. I feel like we've seen a number of funds launch recently with that focus, with Variant recently um, yep. coming out, A16Z. It's a big focus for them. When you hearken back on when you founded the firm five years ago, four years ago? Multicoin turns five on October 1st. Fantastic. We're doing the bike race on that day. So we'll... we'll if there's drinking afterwards, we'll pour one out. Pour one for, for me, sweet. Thank you. Can you drink beforehand and then, like, hopefully you make that it? That bike yeah. race would not happen. with. Do not drink the night before at all. <laughs> Frank actually signed me up for the 60-mile ride. 60? Yeah. 60 is pretty rough. Yeah. I'm a cyclist. I don't make it to 60 very much. And this is a hilly course. It's a very hilly course. Oh, that, yeah. that's. I think there's also a 20-mile option or a walking path. I'm, I'm a bit out of shape. I've been putting on weight. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do the 20. Bear markets are forgetting in good health. Bull markets are when your health exactly. Regresses. So yes. I'm maybe we should have a longer bear market so I can get back into uh, <laughs> get back into shape, get back into my running. I forget who I was talking about this with, but I feel like now when I exercise, I'm just more hungry and then I eat more 
than I lo- would have lost from the exercise. But you got in pretty good shape. Uh, I've been using the last few months to focus on my health. Yeah. Saying, as someone told me, is uh, I traded my health for wealth, and I'm now reversing that trade. Who said that? Just like some, I remember where I read that. Oh, but I see. Just kind of like a thing that like is stuck in my mind. Yeah, I basically did that same exact thing, like 2018, 2019, just like horrible to my body, not sleeping, eating terribly. COVID happened, and just like you get a reset. So that's fantastic. How do you balance like running a fund? Is when people think about fund managers, hedge funders, venture capitalists, like one of the most time consuming jobs you can think of engaging with founders, trying to find deals. You kind of always have to be on watching the market. How do you balance that with like your personal life, your mental health, et cetera? Yeah. You have to make a commitment to take care of yourself and you have to block it. I mean, literally I have to block it off on my calendar. So cycling is on my calendar every day. Lifting is on my calendar every day. Right. Um, And you you just got to stick to it. Today, I'm in New York. Obviously, I'm not on my normal schedule, so I made sure to wake up. I went to bed extra early. I went to bed at like 9.15, 9.30 last night, woke up at 5, made sure I get my workout in, mm-hmm. get my my morning prepped, and then get you know get here for the day. And committing to that is just like it's, it's an all-in commitment. I didn't drink over the weekend because like I knew the next 48 hours are going to be intense intense with salt and then with the Multicoin Summit. And so it's just uh, that full full kind of 24-7 sense of, of cognizant, uh, you know, I have to be on. Yeah. I feel like this, the reset was, I mean, you mentioned it on the panel, like deals were closing in 24 hours. I think you've probably seen this, George, on on our, you know, with, with your clients on the research side, it's tough to navigate that and balance your health and everything else. Do you think we ever return to that? Do you think the sort of days of, you know, you don't even meet the founder and you're maybe signing a check? Oh yeah, for sure. Is that over? No, no, that no. that is the norm because of COVID. That's the norm because of COVID. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, the well, I mean, I, I'm talking about. I've known some VCs that have like signed checks without having even a Zoom meeting with the founder. Yeah, that, that's that's a little ridiculous. We we have Zoom meetings. That, that's kind of a requirement. I got to hear the guy like talk and like make sure that they can think correctly. Yeah, uh, which is kind of a key thing for underwriting a founder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we will go back to the days of deals getting done in 24 hours. That that. Mm-hmm. In any hype cycle like that is the only guaranteed outcome. Yeah, until like crypto becomes just in everyone's daily life. Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, even outside of crypto, that was happening. Mm-hmm. Like seed rounds and A's in trad, in traditional tech were happening. I don't know if they were happening in 24 hours, but I bet you they were happening in 72 hours. Like sure. <laughs> they were happening very fast. Yeah, and that sort of momentum that was serving as a tailwind to crypto obviously spilled over or existed rather in Silicon Valley in the sort of hyper growth tech scene. And we all had a similar ride on the way down, which is funny because I feel like crypto gets treated unfairly in the media in terms of like the price decline, like what is ETH or Bitcoin down like 70%, but so is like any tech stock you can think of. It's like, I mean, I would say that that is actually an indication that crypto is done, I would say, on a relative basis quite well. You yeah. you would have said a year ago, if Netflix is down 75%, crypto should be down 93%, 90, yeah. right? But like fairness is what I, it's just kind of like, con- I don't understand what the word fair means anymore. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like a concept that has exited my, my vocabulary. Like the world is what it is and like it is you, what it you is. deal with the cards you're dealt. 
What's up, George? Yeah, Frank, let me just jump in here quickly. So, Kyle, you mentioned that irrespective of the fact that Bitcoin and Ether prices down, a lot of people are still building games that have a crypto element. And it's actually something that a lot of investors are paying a lot of attention to. You also use Stepin as an example. And Stepin famously had a bit of a downward spiral where the token price went down, it made it less fun to play, or rather less economically viable for users. How do you look at some of these games from a crypto economic perspective? And how is a game developer able to balance having crypto functionality, having a token, having an NFT, and not being overly levered on upward price movement or just being a momentum play? So you, you need to segment things by different kinds of use cases and, and think about them separately. What Axie did was create a lot of marketing and then the price went up. And then when the price went up, there was more incentive to click farm to print tokens and then the price came down. Something, I guess, similar-ish happened with Stepin. I, I, it's less clear to me. I mean, there, I'm sure there's some truth to that, but it's unclear. Is it 30% true or 90% true? That, that's less clear. So, so that model doesn't work no matter what because, like, you just can't have perpetual buying pressure. It's not a perpetual motion machine. There's a lot of things in crypto gaming that probably are taking that mold. We, we admittedly have done very few, if, if any. We've done basically no games because we've been looking for models that we, we can kind of buy into. But that doesn't mean that the idea of using token incentives to program behaviors isn't compelling. It's just hard in the context it of at least... It just can't be the be-all, end-all. It can't be the be-all, end-all. And, and so like Helium is a good example where like it can make more sense or HiveMapper, there's there's those things. I guess by the time this airs, we'll, we'll have published Multicoin stuff. But like tomorrow at the Multicoin Summit, I'm giving a presentation talking about how you can use learn-to-earn type tools. Mm. And like the question is like who is paying for the educating the people and I would actually argue, like, well, do people spend money today on recruiting? And, like, of course, right, there's a huge industry around recruiting. Um, and, in fact, big companies like Google and Apple and Microsoft and stuff give money to universities because they want them to, to teach people about their development languages and whatever. And so I look at learn to earn as just straight-up user acquisition for talent. And I think the idea of, like, doing micropayments for learn to earn type things will actually become much bigger. Today, you have Coinbase Earn was kind of the first instantiation of this. Rabbit hole is probably the next major instantiation of this. I think that idea is going to get extrapolated a lot further and we'll have a lot more use cases. So when you talk about X, your original question was kind of like, you know, what happens with X to earn? I don't know how to compare learn to earn, what I just described, to the Axie style play to earn thing. Yeah, they're technically X to earn, but like besides that, there's, there's not much else in common. The key is in all of these is, is figuring out where is the organic demand coming from and, and like why is that organic demand there? Um, and if there's a good reason for that, then you can use token incentives in a, in a pretty interesting way. And on the other end of it, you have to ask, who's paying for this? So in the Stepan example, obviously you have buy pressure from token speculators and users, and the only counteracting force is these token sinks they employ. There are potentially other models where liquidity can be soaked up, I would say, by another third party, whether it's a fitness company or a lifestyle brand that wants to subsidize that usage. Yeah. I mean, I know one thing in the case of Stepin that, that's particularly interesting is like, so there's there's a few or, organic sources of buying demand. One is their AMM itself. They used to use Orca and they flipped it off their own. 
and all the fees that Orca used to take are now being routed to, to be to be buy pressure for their own token. So that's like one example. But then the more interesting one is they have all of these sneaker NFTs in the game. And again, like OpenSea or like Magic Eden, they are taking up, I think, two and a half, maybe it's a 5% cut on all the sneaker trades. And again, that is going to, to support the token. So like one, you know, theoretically interesting model in the future is this whole system works because if you believe there's enough trading around um, the NFTs, then like that can produce real revenue to actually support the token price. Now again, how that math plays out versus the current valuation, I, I don't really know. But like, there's a bunch of interesting new ways that you can monetize these things as the economies and, and kind of the, the brands grow. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. I've been asking this question to a lot of different folks who come on the show, which is, you know, George, you, I think this is one of the most important questions coming out of this sort of, you know, crypto collapse is if the price doesn't go up, if number doesn't go up, will people still want to use these apps? That's the fundamental question. And your, your answer is yes, but you have to have these other parameters in place. There, there has to be something that brings people back. In the case of Steppen, they still have their sneaker NFTs. You still run, right? You're not changing your behavior potentially, but there's still probably going to be less interest. I mean, think about it. If you were going to make $30 walking to get a bagel, you're going to turn your Steppen on. If you're making 30 cents, you're probably less inclined. Yeah. I mean, Token incentives can be a powerful thing. They are particularly powerful when you can incentivize people to do a thing one time, and then, and then that thing has lasting effects later. Mm. So I would contrast, in this case, uh, what you said, step in there with Helium. Mm -hmm. What's cool about Helium is, like, you, you buy the hotspot once, you plug it in, it takes, like, three cents of electricity per month. But, like, the network is now larger, and you're producing radio waves for the network. So there's a real interesting opportunity to use 
if you can identify use cases where the token incentives incentivize in one upfront action that has long lasting or perpetual value creation elsewhere, that is a super, super compelling way to use token incentives. Okay. You've been around for a while. You've seen you've seen a lot of crazy stuff happen. Let's let's go through the past few months. I don't think you've been on the show since what was it last April? I think I wrote it here in the we show. Did, we did something with it. Yeah, it was probably last fall. Yeah. So before, obviously, Luna, mm-hmm. three arrows. Yep. What do you think? It's pretty crazy. It's a, it's a wild story. I mean, I'm sure people are writing on working on books and movies already. Michael Lewis recently joined Telegram. Oh, did he? Yeah. So he's probably looking to get it up. Okay, that, I'm uh, excited to see that one. I mean, look, we. I generally don't like to to kick people when they're down, but I'll say in the case of Luna, like, I mean, we we wrote about it in September of last year in our our UXD blog post. Mm-hmm. UXD is a decentralized stablecoin built on Solana. It uses derivative trading to produce a fully collateralized stablecoin, and uh, we highlighted what was the problem with Luna. We were not the only people to highlight it by any means. There's plenty of other smart people who said the same thing. The system fell apart. That is what it is. Sad story just because of like the amount of collateral damage around that in terms of all the lenders and three arrows and people lending through three arrows. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, 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 the vortex of capital attracted that 19%, 20% yield is, is pretty crazy. Um, so it's just unfortunate there's so much collateral damage there. Hopefully it doesn't happen again, right? Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, we knew the three arrows guys, like, you know, they were thought they were really smart. Guess they kind of risk management went out the window and like, it is what it is. Are you surprised that? at the lack of risk management that that existed. I'm I'm amazed that they believed that the system was solvent at the scale that they like they knew they were putting a billion dollars into it, right? Yeah. And like they understand liquidity and like maybe they could have done it with 100 million and been like okay, we're taking a little risk, but like even if it goes to zero, we're fine. But like they should have known that like at the scale they were doing it, it was is like they were too large of a percentage of the market. Exactly, and like they would have known that, and it's like I mean they did know that, yeah, right. Like and and then knowing that you're playing with a thing that you know is flimsy, and then also knowing that you're, you're the largest player in the market that you but can, no one else knew and no one else that's, could tell, yeah. right? And like that that's 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 very scary. Yeah, you've got to have cojones of steel. I mean, can you imagine? They were behind. All of that yield. It was crazy. I mean, they were by far the largest borrowers in all of crypto. Insane. And no one really knew. I wonder how much of their AUM was really just leverage. My sense is their equity was at probably a couple billion at peak. Mm -hmm. If I were to ballpark it. I think with debt, I mean, it's unclear like how much debt there was. But like, I I don't know. I could see 8 to 20 billion of debt on top of that. So they were definitely very levered. That's <laughs> that's very levered. Yes. Is leverage scarier to you now? I don't know how much Yeah, Multicoin doesn't doesn't yeah. doesn't trade with leverage. I mean, like the number one rule of running a hedge fund is do not die. Mm-hmm. Uh and like without question, if you look across the history of hedge funds, the most common way people die is with leverage. Like it's it's incredible the degree to which that statement is true. And so you know, we don't we don't touch it. It's like right if someone tells you where you're going to die, then you just like you don't go there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we uh, it's actually funny. I remember I was talking with someone about Luna 
I got in a really heated debate. It's probably about six months ago in some Telegram thread, some group. And I, I made it like a really, I went on a rant. And I was like, the the, pro, the way most people die is because of leverage. And like, you want to avoid systems with, with hidden leverage. Mm -hmm. And I highlighted Luna as like the system with the most hidden leverage in it. And they were like, got mad at me. They're like, what are you talking about? Luna doesn't have to do anything and whatever. And it's just, <laughs> uh, it's funny how, how it all plays out. But yeah, le leverage is, uh, there's explicit leverage, which I mean, Three Arrows just got a bunch of, like there was explicit. And then there's also implicit leverage that kind of builds up in, in ways that's subtler and harder to detect. Okay. Um, and, and you got to be cognizant of both forms. So unpack that a little bit. Where, where is the hidden leverage? Yeah. So, so uh, th this is not a financially correct term, but but I think it, it, it is directionally useful way to think about the world. So the best example of this was in 2017, um, all the ICOs, all of the, the capital that went into the ICOs was ETH denominated. And the ICO teams primarily were ETH maxi-ish people mm -hmm. and did not, for the most part, they didn't sell. And so you, you could actually look on chain and just see like 10 million ETH was like collected across all these ICO teams over between like, you know, May and December of 2017 or something like that. And you could just see that that literally like just and at the time the ETH supply was like 90 or 95 million. Um, it's like 120 million today. Mm -hmm. And you could just see that like this ETH just got sucked up and, and that and then all of the tokens were traded against ETH pairs. Mm -hmm. And so you could see that like if ETH went down, then those teams were forced to sell. And like you could see that the denomination of pairs and, and liquidity there is is a what we kind of internally refer to as is implicit leverage. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the, the right financial term is for that, if there is one. I'm not sure there's ever been a financial market before where you could have had that effect. Yeah. Um, but but that's kind of what we mean by implicit leverage. So there's hidden hidden leverage around every corner. There's, there's a lot of that in crypto. I mean, it's true in, in all markets too, but, but like it's more pronounced in crypto. So one thing we see is a lot of companies still raise using tokens or have a token for something like governance. Two questions on this. First, to what you were saying around hidden leverage or hidden risk, a lot of these treasuries hold a lot of their native token. How does that impact which tokens you look at or how you assess them? And second, if a company is launching a token or planning to launch a token and you're a venture capital investor running an equity check, how do you think about value accrual to the token versus the equity? So we are primarily token investors, but we do invest in both. We don't have a intellectual preference for one or the other, but but rather we want to invest in the asset that we believe is going to capture the value. There are very, very, very few cases in which you can have the equity and the token capture value contemporaneously and really have the system work. There are a couple of exceptions um, in which I believe it is intellectually justified, Helium actually being one. The other actually being Factum, which is, is I think it's it's dead now. And there may be some other more recent examples that I'm, I'm not familiar with. But in 99% of cases, like pitching equity value capture A and token value capture B is, is almost certainly going to fail. Um, there's there's going to be too much conflict laid in between the two, and, and it's going to create a nightmare internally for the team, and then the public is yelling at you and a bunch of other things. So not, not a fan of that. Uh, we want to invest in the instrument that we believe will capture value. What about a deal like FTX, right, where you have the token and you have the equity? What's great about that one is, is, I mean, FTT is taking a third of the revenue of FTX International. Okay. And like that's just a straight royalty, and you can do a DCF on that and like project FTX's growth. 
Uh, and then FTX.com equity is worth right the revenue minus the one third that goes to FTT minus the expenses and the DCF on that. Fair enough. That's just pretty straightforward to value those two assets. Yeah. Did you get both questions answered, do you think? Definitely. But just to quickly follow up, I know you've written a lot about payments tokens and utility tokens. Granted, that research might have been a couple of years ago. But have you seen any interesting developments there? Is that still something you're interested in? It's more than a few years old. I think I think the original one was December 2017, and the follow-up one was February 2018. So okay. four and a half years old now. How has it aged? Uh, very well, actually. Another thing that we wrote, I think, is explicitly wrong. Certainly ideas have been modified, but nothing was just flagrantly wrong. So that's good. Generally, we have become in larger fans of payment tokens. If you can Im- embed them in the broader context of what we call the burn and equilibrium, Again, this was actually pioneered by Factum way back in the day. And then more recently, uh, Helium uses it now. And then I believe Render is moving towards the burn and equilibrium model. And uh, it's a way to use your token as a payment token and to capture value. If you don't have that and you just have an MV equals PQ or whatever it is um, system, mm-hmm. then, then those don't those don't work. Mm-hmm. But as long as you can figure out a way to do the, 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 the burn mint thing intelligently, it, it can. I'd say the majority of the space, though, has moved towards um, things that look more like capital assets and that like there's assets like you can say that there's a total dollar flow into the system there's let's say 500 tokens or shares and each one can theoretically get have a claim on on some dcf of the future cash flows the majority of the space looks like that now not in terms of market cap but in terms of percentage of names mm-hmm. um and and that model also can work absolutely as well um so we're generally supportive of both models or even just staking for access. So taking a step back, staking as a tokenomic primitive would allow you to solve the issue of seeing and wanting to participate in a network that has value where you will want to use the service, but you don't necessarily want to rid yourself of the token by using it for payment. Yeah, and this is what the block's doing with its access protocol or whatever. I mean, like in, using inflation in a clever way. It to, is access protocol. Yeah, access <laughs> protocol. Okay, good. You know, using inflation intelligently. I, I mean, one, one thing that has not really been done in the, in the history of, of I'm going to capital market structuring mm-hmm. or, or or capital stack structuring or whatever is cleverly and intelligently using programmatic inflation, and like that that is a rich design space. It will clearly unlock net new things that were not possible before. I'm hoping y'all nail it. Y'all, y'all I, I think are going to so. be the first ones. I think it's going to be a real aggressive shot on 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 target. So thank you so much, Kyle. Okay, you're over indexed on Solana. You're a big Solana guy. I would say I'm under indexed, but you know, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's function of perspective. Uh, do you are you paying attention or excited or interested in the merge? I am aware it is happening in a day or two. <laughs> Right, like the the only real marketing event in Bitcoin is the halving, which is yeah. every four years, and it actually is nothing. Right, like like it literally is the definition of nothing. The merge is not quite as nothing as halving, but it's actually like fairly close in that like it's the event of the year, mm-hmm. and also like does not address the core problem of the system, which is scalability. Reducing the power consumption is great. Like I'm I'm all for not wasting electricity on mining. Uh, but like, but the theory, gas fees are still going to be high. Yeah, someone no, tweeted it, that the other day. They were like, "Gas fees are still going to be high." Yeah, I mean that 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 is the only problem. Like that 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 problem is more important than all other problems combined times a factor of a hundred. And so I just like it, it to me. It's like signals like the ossification of like the community that like the event of the year 
is the thing like that does not solve the problem. You get a lot of pushback though on Twitter sometimes for. Uh, I mean, I kind of like that. overlooking some of Solana's own technical issues. Do you think that we are too hard on each other? No. The various ecosystems. Should we should be should we should be harder on each other? I mean, look, different people respond to adversity in different ways. I thrive in the face of adversity, so <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, I realize not all other people appreciate the adversity. <laughs> um, what are you most excited for going into the next, you know, six months? Only thing I care about is consumer-facing crypto applications. Okay. What do you think is the biggest impediment to, like, normal people wanting to use these things? I mean, it depends on what they like. I think Hivemapper is like Hivemapper is consumer in the sense that like you're getting people to put a dash cam in their car and drive around and produce a map. It's not consumer in that like there's not like a sexy set of buttons that you click, but like it has a very strong consumer angle to it. Mm. We have a bunch of stuff we've invested in that we haven't announced yet. That like I want to see these things launch. We haven't announced Delphia. I believe they're launching in like the next month or so. I think their consumer facing portal. Their their fund is already live and is already doing great even without the consumer data. But I think that. Like, I just want to see these things happen. Uh, again, it's very hard to generalize, like, what is the bottleneck across use cases? So you just have to, to reason about them individually. But right now, I don't perceive, at least for the things we have invested in, meaningful bottlenecks. I should say, meaningful unsolved problems that require a third party to solve them that are going to meaningfully prevent the growth of them. We, we are at the stage where we are now being pretty focused on on investing in things that, like, we think they can launch the product now and that like it can start going. Fair enough. Well, I'd like to thank our guest Kyle Samani for joining us on the show today and stopping by the scoop here at Salt. We have to do this, we have to do these little check-ins more often, sir. And appreciate Mr. George from our research team gracefully co-hosting alongside me. Literally, our legs are touching. Um, <laughs> where can our listeners learn more about Multicoin? And do you have any like recent research that you've put out that you want to point people to? Yeah, you can go to our website, multicoin.capital. We have a blog there. We have a email subscription thing. So you can type in your email address and get our blog posts when they come out. Um, I think it's been a few weeks since we published anything, but there's a whole, whole list there. Um, and then I'm on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Samani. Good luck. If you follow him You're in for <laughs> a real treat. Yeah. It's, it's kind of messy out there some days. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kyle Samani, managing partner and co-founder of Multicoin Capital. Thanks for being on the show. Frank, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, thanks, this George. was a lot of fun. Thanks, Kyle. And thanks, Frank, for having me on. It's great. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. And maybe George will uh, join that one, too. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Have a great day.